The following program is intended for mature audiences. You're listening to Bottom Shelf Recording Talk. Sounds boring. Oh my, yeah. With your hosts, James Seabrook. Okay, you were paying attention, but the idea is clear in my head, but translating it into English is not. That's brutal. I understand the hypocrisy. And Joey Roach. I don't even know what you do. I was just told you were the man. Some people would say I'm overconfident. That could be my ego talking, though. I'm trying to think of the right word. Oh. Yeah. Must be a tough word. Next subject. Uh, you're bored with this one? You don't hear us gassing on about it. Give you in the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. By the way, you know, when you're when you're telling these little stories, you have a big mouth. Here's a good idea. What are you even talking about? Have a point. Why are you airing personal matters with complete strangers? It makes it so much more interesting for the listeners. I'll hear about it. You don't have to deal with her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's fair, but it does sound incredibly funny in my head. Yeah, it'll be funny for you because then <laughs> you'll get to hear about the backlash on me. <laughs> well, it's it's great when we have fan interaction, though, especially when it's face to face. Or in your case, I guess this would be you know screaming over the internet. Uh, no, it'd be a phone call, probably. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, is she a screamer? That totally mm-hmm. sounded not the way I wanted to sound. Is, does she yell when she's angry? Not really. She's just really mean spirited. Mm. I can definitely see that in her. Yeah. She might make a good engineer. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's going to school for illustration. So, yeah. And she just had a tour at uh, BioWare yesterday. Mm. She's awesome. She's Down excited. In no. Oh, in Edmonton? Here in Edmonton. That's awesome. That's there fantastic. isn't one in Calgary. Yeah, I didn't think there was. The main one, though, is here in Edmonton. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she got a tour. Apparently, it's like five floors of a building. It's a big building. I've, I've driven past it before. Well, I, I knew roughly where it was because I used to live by it, and I knew that I lived by it, but I mm. didn't know where in the building it was. Uh, but Mary was telling me about it yesterday and how it's five floors and they like will dedicate an entire floor to a game. So there's like <laughs> the Mass Effect floor, yeah. the Dragon Age floor. That almost that almost makes sense to have all the team that's working on one thing um, or one game all in the same location, right? Well, yeah. See the advantage to that, to organizing things like that, rather than here's your coders, here's your artists, here's your... Uh, they still like have it so that all the artists are, from what it was described mm-hmm. to me, it sounds like all the artists are kind of have their spot. Okay. All the coders have their spot, but like the the offices or the cubicles, whatever you want to call them, there's a lot of, you can see people around you right still so it's not like your your desk job like your dilbert jet desk jobs where you can't see anyone unless they come <laughs> to your little doorway <laughs> i love dilbert <laughs> um that'd be like soul crushing though if uh, to have like one of those jobs where you couldn't see other people especially if you like a creative place like that uh, Amazing what a couple doctors could build up. Was it a couple doctors that started Bioware? Yeah, I think it was like three doctors. They really liked D&D, and so they <laughs> were making RPGs, and then it got bought out by EA. Oh, yeah. I don't know if 
any of the the doctors who created Bioware are still working there, but that's fair. Um, oh, they have uh, they have a studio in Montreal. And no, they in don't. Boston as well. That Corny shut down recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Because oh, uh, B- uh, Mass Effect Andromeda did poorly, so they shut down Montreal. Because Montreal was responsible for that game, and it did it did poorly, so they shut the entire division down. Yep. Uh, to be fair, Montreal was a support studio before that studio. game, and that was their first big game. So it was like EA saying, "Here's your chance to prove to us that you're worth having open." And gotcha. they failed. Yeah, they at least that's how I'm translating it. So. Um, I'm gonna have to go look at like I'm 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 on their website right now. Yeah. Um that was more for the listeners than than for you specifically, but uh I'm trying to I'm trying to find a game that they did that I've actually played. Have you played any of the Dragon Age games? Uh I I never have, no. Um, um what about I played the Neverwinter Nights, the Baldur's Gates yeah, games. Those are super old. Um I played well Yeah. <laughs> You, you, who you were talking to? Oh, I know. <laughs> I, I played those games too. Those are the games that made me uh, fall in love with the studio. Yeah, and I mean, those are the the their breakout games are like the Neverwinter right. Night, the D and D stuff. Yeah, well, and and that was the stuff that I that was the stuff that I really got into that that style of gaming. I still have um, uh, I have uh, an indie game that that as last I looked had never been picked up that i played that's in the style of but that's new uh um i'm gonna find it here um because i'm that kind of geek uh the echelon echelon books oh yeah um it's it's that style i don't know if it's any i don't know if it's any better um i enjoyed the full game where i didn't enjoy the full Baldur's gate games and i only got halfway through neverwinter nights before i got frustrated with how it worked um it was probably i got frustrated with a challenge that i couldn't figure out oh um and and so i just that's yeah. fair um but that was neverwinter was right at the end of of me gaming really um on computers that style of game is kind of coming back though Pathfinders making their own asymmetric RPG. Cool. There's like one that I think just came out, like Avalon or yeah, I'm 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 pillars or something. I'm intentionally going to stay away. (laughs) Yeah, specifically because (laughs) I can't afford the time. (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah, games are a huge time investment, and Mm -hmm. we have. I don't play them very often. Yeah. Um, but it's cool to know that a lot of this stuff really did come out of, come out of, um, Edmonton, Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like that, we, we uh, might've met, <laughs> we might've met some of these people. I have met several BioWare people cause they come to the store. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nice. I. Uh, a lot of times, like the audio department actually orders directly from our store because it's closer for them. Do you mean the audio department or do you mean the audio, like the... Like the audio department Bioware's. of BioWare. Okay. We, we, it, it's it's not, terrible that we have to be... Not the recording studio here in town. Yeah, right? Called the audio department, but... Yeah. 
but the actual division in the offices of BioWare that is the audio department. Yeah. Cool. Um, what kind of stuff do they uh, do they get from you? Because I would, I would uh, headphones sometimes. That's would, the last thing I did was yeah. headphones for them. I would imagine um, that most of the stuff that they do is not like it's it's kind of I would I would think that it's kind of studio ish like recording studio ish like once you're set up with the equipment that you that you need you don't really need to go buying more stuff. No, they it's typically like only and buy stuff uh, when like they need something. Like they broke and it's always very headphones. specific what they need. Mm. Um yeah. Although some of the the people who work there do come by to for their own personal needs as well, be like, "Oh, I just want a drum kit so that when I'm not working <laughs> on games, I have something to do." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very cool. Illustrators and stuff actually go to Long McQuaid and get instruments mm. so that they're doing something other than drawing. Cool. Yeah. <clears throat> That's one of those networking things. Ah, you know what? I am... Um, well, Mary's networking with them, and she's really inspired cool. for school because of that tour. That's awesome. She was telling me like she would love to work at BioWare if she got the opportunity to do so. But, and by the sounds of it, she's built a little crack. She's just working to try and get her foot in there now. Yeah, that'd be awesome if when she comes back in the uh, in the spring that she could like intern or get a summer position or something. Well, she's already been because um, her cousin or something like that actually works there, and okay. he has told her like, if you ever just want to come here and work on your own stuff, use my office, like sit beside me and just do your own drawings. Just hang out type of thing. Feel free. That's awesome. Uh, but apparently she has to sign an NDA every time she goes in that building. Totally fair. Yeah. Yeah, I can't argue with that. No. I mean, because it's, the. I imagine that the gaming market is every bit as saturated and overpopulated as any market you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody's fighting for a competitive edge, and that might just be story well, or graphics. Or working on games for years and years, and some of those games don't ever see the light of day. Okay, and to tell the general public, like, yeah. oh, we're building this game, and it probably won't be out for four years. But then, you know, maybe a year <laughs> from now, they decide, oh, this isn't working. Let's just drop it and get make something else. Right. Um, so you don't want the general public knowing that there's a game too early. Yeah. It, it I, seems uh, to be, from what I understand of the, the industry, cause I watch videos on the industry all the time. So, um, you watch videos, videos on the gaming industry? Yeah. Huh, just like seeing how studios work and stuff like that. Just yeah. cause it kind of interests me how it works. Very cool. I don't. <laughs> Work in it. I don't see myself <laughs> working in the, the games industry. Like the only thing I could maybe do is sound effect design, but I've don't have yep. a whole lot of experience doing that, so I don't see it happening. Yeah. Yeah, it would be fun. That was that was actually um when I got into the when I got into audio, 
back in the nineties, that was actually one of the things that I thought could be a, um, a potential career path. And I'm, I'm, in you know, in some way I'm a little disappointed that I never pursued it. Um, uh, I tried to get a job at a couple studios here in Edmonton, but there, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't even know that there were such a thing in Edmonton in the nineties. Yeah. Um, cause I, I, like, I think the nineties is when Bioware started up. I think so. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, 95. Oh, there yeah. you go. Um, but w- one of the biggest things that, that I was really bothered by and because I, mean, I was doing that specifically in school, mm-hmm. uh, was I would listen to games and even as a, as a 10 year old, 12 year old kid, um, at the end of the eighties, I would, I would, I would hear inconsistencies in audio that would bother me. Um, and if the, if the game was good, I'd eventually forget about it and love the game. But if the game was terrible, I'd stop playing the game. And one of the reasons would be, well, it sounds bad. You know, it, it, uh, it, you know, this voice sounds that much, this much louder than that voice. And, and this sound effect is really loud. I can see that. And that sound effect sounds kind of like it's coming through a tin can and I don't think it should be. And yeah, I noticed that about video games I play, including Bioware games where it's just like, where's all the sounds? Why isn't there any background sounds? (laughs) That's actually a very minor thing. Like you don't need background sounds to get the point across that you're trying to make with a, a story, but it's well, just like they're but, in the wilderness. I can't hear the trees rustling and stuff. But right? I think, but I think the, I think the, the thing that people take for granted in games and I'm, and I'm glad that like, I, I know in the last 10 years, the, the sound design of games has, has improved dramatically. Yeah. Um, but that's one of the things that people take for granted is the sound I think is more important than the graphics because the sound is the thing graphics. We always see graphics, especially the, the further back you go, the graphics have always been kind of terrible mm-hmm. and it's easy to, it's easy to hold on. I, it's hold on. <laughs> I see you coming up with a thought. Yeah. It's easy. To, it, it, it's easy to, to take a graphic at whatever, whatever level you're at, like even the graphics today that are starting to look really real, oh, it's yeah. easy to see them as not real because they're not. And, and there's still that, there's still that animated, animated feel to them. But because you can see that and you're expecting that your brain shifts into, into an acceptance of, of the, the, uh, suspension of disbelief. That's yeah. the term I'm looking for. With sound, you don't have that luxury at all. So if the sound isn't great, the enjoyment of the game goes down dramatically. And and it's the if, if the sound is really good, then everything else that's wrong with the game, you can probably get over. Assuming I mean, assuming I've, the game is good to begin with, right? I've seen game developers make that argument and how they say I wish that audio departments were bigger in studios because mm-hmm. then we would actually have better sound instead of having like the four or five people working four years trying yeah. to make all these sounds and all these sounds are changing all the time yeah. because people decide oh I don't like that sound anymore 
let's change it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But at the same time, there's just like the sheer amount of sounds that these guys have to come up with in those four years because you have to have a sound for everything in the game. Right. right? And, and and the 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 database management for that and yeah and just um the database management alone I would imagine I would expect to be almost a full time job if not a full time job for one person yeah and as far as I know the people with ten years is only like a handful like you don't see a studio with more than maybe ten audio full time audio guys and then everybody else who works in the audio department is usually a temporary contract worker. Mm, yeah, you've said that before. Yeah. 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 It's very difficult to get a tenure in a in a game studio unless you're like an illustrator or well, even then it's probably difficult, but it seems like they care more about the artists and the coders than they do for audio guys. Well, because that's the flashy thing, right? Like that's yeah. the thing that that's, that's the thing. The thing that, that kids are going to school for in that department or in that industry is yeah. uh, illustration or coding yeah. or game development. Whereas that's, audio, that's usually a second thought for guys like you and me because we're usually going in for music and then we just fall into those. That's totally opportunity. That's totally how it happened for me. I I went into um, I went into my recording program, ninety uh, six, with the intention of being a, uh, uh, an engineer and a producer. Um, and I learned theater of the mind. I like I, I was introduced to theater of the mind, and that's the thing that made me super excited. Yeah, I had to do when I was in school. I think I had to do four videos where I had to do all the sound design. Nice. We weren't allowed to do music. We just had to. And of course, I was an idiot and I chose like the most difficult videos to possibly do. A lot of people did like some pretty simple <laughs> things where yeah. it's just like they need a couple sounds where I I was doing like some really busy sections and right. stuff. And we were only supposed to do like 30 second videos, but I would do like minute long ones. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. I, like I did an Assassin Creed <coughs> nice. one where I made all of these action sounds of you actually made fighting. all the made all the foley. Uh, I didn't foley foley. You did. Um, yeah. I took sounds like I've had a library of sword clanking and right. stuff like that, and I applied those to the video. Awesome, like. For clothing, there was like a f flag sound that I was able to get. It was like <laughs> cool. probably a minute long flag sounds. And I just kind of took that and I morphed it and okay. to make it look like the sound or to have it be the sounds of clothing. And mm -hmm. yeah. Nice. And then I took a lemon to make blood noises. A lemon? A lemon. I cut a lemon in half and I just squeezed it for like a couple minutes to get like <laughs> squishy noises. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that creative stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I did a um it's been it's been four years since I've done any sound effects on an album. Um or sound design, that kind of thing on an album. But the last thing was uh um it was just some simple overdose yeah. scene. Well, um I was going to build a portable rig. Uh, well, actually, a field recording rig mm. 
uh, to try and do some like sound design work. Yeah, you were like talking about that. To actually build a library. But then my computer shit it on me. and <laughs> That's where all your it. money went. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of money going somewhere, I got two, two things I want to go. Um, we just got a quote from a heating and ventilation company. Oh, yeah. Um, to redo all the ventilation for the studio. Cool. Because we, we have the second floor studio that's that's built now. Um we're just in the, in the, we're getting ready to paint in a couple of days. Okay. Um, so that's how close we are. Uh, but, uh, we still need the, the, the ventilation system installed for that. Anyway, so the company that came in to quote us on that started pointing out all these easy ways to improve the ventilation for the rest of the studio. And mm-hmm. so we're, we're actually going to go ahead and over the next, over the next month or so, we're going to have all of the ventilations, um, in the entire the entire space um, upgraded and what they claim will be a significant improvement in airflow. Um, so we're lo- really looking forward to that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It should be, um, should be a lot better at, uh, at maintaining um, heat levels. So it doesn't It'll get be... super hot or your feet don't get super cold. Yeah, it'd be nice if uh, during the winter it's not as cold in here. Well, it, I mean, I st- I'll still have to I still have to get a better um, better sealant for the front door, but yeah. Um, but apart from that, uh, everything else should be um, should be pretty easy. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm uh, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, and it's supposed to be a it's supposed to be an incredible improvement for very little money comparatively. Hmm. That was, that's been the big thing that's been holding me back is my own, my own assessment of how much it should cost was completely out to lunch. Well then completely out to lunch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, and we'd mentioned database management. Uh, we're getting ready to do a, um, a microphone shootout, uh, and um, we're gonna have it published uh, somewhere near Christmas. Um, once we get through all the all the stuff, how likely is it that I could borrow microphones from Long and McQuaid for the shootout? Uh, and I and I'm I'm I'm, I'm not expecting. Um, I'm just. Trying to figure yeah, out I'd, where to get some some of these mics. I think it depends on the uh, person you talk to, but you can ask for a trial for purchase of like eight different mics. Maybe. Oh yeah. Yeah. What happens if I don't purchase any of them? It, it's basically a loner, and. I know with my location, we say no longer than a couple of days. Yeah, and, and, and it would probably be like a day. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That'd, that'd be something that probably whoever you approach will then go to the manager of whatever store you're at. Right. And then it'll be decided whether or not they want to, what they want to do. Cool. Something like that where we're pretty sure you're not going to buy it. You'll probably have to rent them. Any idea what the average rental cost for uh, um, 
What am I looking uh, for? Dynamic mics? Not a lot. Yeah. Anywhere from probably three to 20 bucks per day ish. Yeah, for a day. That's what I would say is pretty average. It really depends on what microphone you get. Right. The most expensive microphones we have be like 50 bucks for a day, but that would be like your Neumann uh, U87s. And and I think the most expensive microphone on our list is $600. Yeah. So, I don't know. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. So you'll that, probably, that, uh, for all of the microphones, probably pay f- less than 50 bucks. That's not bad then. If you're just renting for a day. Yeah. Don't don't rent on a Saturday though. Yeah, we'll probably. We'll, I think because we need a we need to bring in a, mu- a specific musician um, for it. We're um, we're probably going to do it on a on a um, weekday day in the morning. I think that's where their schedule works out. Okay, so. yeah, that that'd probably be a better option to do. If you take past Saturday, then that would be a two two day mm-hmm. minimum. Depending on which weekend it is. If it's a long weekend, you pay till Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So that's, that's a good option. Um, I've been talking with, uh, with, um, another, uh, um, one of those, one of those online blogs that, uh, that likes microphone shootouts. Oh yeah. Been talking with, uh, with them about setting something up. Um, and they're really interested, um, and they have more connections than I do, so we're gonna try to get some gonna try to get some cool microphones for it. Um, cool, yeah. And I'm trying to trying to track down some older microphones too that uh, um, that um, people Go to might the not. audio department. They'll have lots of older microphones. Actually, actually, I'm 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 gonna I'm I'm gonna reach out to some of the other studios in town um, to see if we can uh, if we Arrange can borrow something. Some. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta. I'll have to go through their equipment lists and like Stu over at uh, at Sound Extractor has got a ton of microphones and it's some really old stuff. Gear in general. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, like all, already and we he have... seems to always be buying something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, to have the money, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Um. Anything else? going on with you this week this week not really. uh not really i'm st- currently struggling to not buy a system eight synthesizer still eh? yeah that thing's cool you don't have the money though It'll only cost me sixteen hundred dollars <laughs> <laughs> just put it on your account and then it'll only cost you 23 well no if i put it on my account that's how much i'd pay yeah but then sixteen hundred right? yeah that's I already I mean. calculated that. Oh, with interest. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's all right then. <laughs> if I buy it outright, it'll cost me fourteen hundred. Oh shit, that's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have fourteen hundred dollars though. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, I, have you finished? I mean it wouldn't take me long to save that, but have you finished paying off the Aston mics? Uh almost. You that's that- what I'm currently focusing on is paying yeah. those off. I got a $150 gift certificate or something along those lines through Long McQuaid because I'm a part of the Half a Million Club, which just means uh, I sold or I have done enough 
sales slash rentals that uh, I made the company a half a million dollars. Wow. In a well year. Done, sir. Yeah. So they call it top performers yeah. or, um, so yeah, I got 150 bucks for that. Nice. That I can apply to anything, including my Aston mics, which if I apply that, that means I only owe, I think like 200 bucks. You've been taking your time on that, eh? Yeah, I have been. But now that my regular account is paid off in full, mm. I, I'll probably be paying that off pretty quick. Sweet. And then I, I'm going to try and hold off on any purchases after the Aston mics are paid off and probably focus on my Gibson account. No, I'm not worried about my Gibson account. It only cost me 20 bucks a month. That's for the Gibson guitar, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not a lot of money. I think I only owe, or I think I owe on that like 600 bucks. Which is not a lot. At $20 a month, that should only take you just under three years? Uh, Something like that. I don't know. I'll probably end up paying more than that. <laughs> As you pay down other things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah there'll, there'll probably be a month where I put like a hundred bucks on that account. But right now I'm focusing on the Aston mics. And then after the Aston mics are paid off, I'm going to probably struggle on not buying more Aston mics. Because <laughs> yeah, I want the you, you still want the Starlight. And you want a pair, right? Yeah. I'm going to get a match pair when I buy those. Are the, are the matched pair more expensive than buying two? Uh, I don't think they are. I think when you price it out, they're cheaper to buy in a pair. Mm. And you also get like a box uh, and everything. So, okay. well, Some companies charge you more for a matched pair just because they actually have to spend the time matching them. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I don't care that much if it's a matched pair. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, technology being what it is, like, Something that's a thousand units off would still probably sound pretty close to the other one. Well, at least close enough that yeah, I could use it as a stereo pair. Well, I mean, you think of those um, all the all the uh, pairs of microphones that I have. The only ones that I have that are are actually matched are um, the Mojave uh, MA one hundreds. Um. And they're they're the only ones that I have that are matched. Yeah. Everything else is everything else is. Um, I have two that are back to back serial numbers that don't sound anything alike, <laughs> but they sound fine as a stereo pair. Yeah. I have uh, I have a pair of Kiwis blue microphone Kiwis, and their manufacturing dates are twelve years apart, I think. And. Aside from the six decibels of volume difference, I can't tell them apart by listening anyway. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, all the I have these two Shure mics we're talking on, and uh, Shure's quality control is is amazing. I got the KSM32s as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I did a drum recording. I know I've talked about this, but I did a drum recording where one side of the overheads was. Uh, an, uh, a Sennheiser E906 and the other side was an MXL 770. 
condenser mic. So, I mean... Yeah. And they well, sound fine. In my experience, the only people, like, with selling microphones uh, in the past two years, my experience tells me that the only people who care about stereo matching are people who don't know anything about recording and don't actually make a living off of recording. That's fair. Uh, maybe some of those big guys who are doing, like, half a million dollar records might care. And they're sitting in, in studios where you can actually hear the half a decibel difference. Yeah. yeah. But, I don't know, ever, in town here, uh, all the working professionals, they don't seem to really care that much. Yeah. Uh, and whereas the guys who are just recording a thing and deciding that they need the best microphones and somehow that translates to the most expensive microphone there is to get. <laughs> yeah, right. Like a Shep's microphone. Those things are dumb. I, what? I, Shep's microphones? Yeah. I I think it's dumb. Just the way that the, the you have to buy um, the capsules separate from the body of the microphone. Right. And the capsules themselves could be like a thousand bucks. Right. And I think that's ridiculous. It probably cost them maybe a hundred bucks to make that. So they don't capsule. even include a a. Um... They have packages that do include them. Okay, but you, it's another one of those like you're paying for us matching the capsules and the power amplifier and all this other bullshit. And I've then seen... on top of that, you can buy a Sheps microphone cable. Because they like on their website, they're saying, "Oh, if you buy our microphones, you should buy our XLR." And it's just like it is better than any XLR you will ever get. And it's just like three hundred dollars for twenty-five feet. So <laughs> like, what the fuck? There is no XLR that is worth three hundred dollars for twenty-five feet. Must be made of gold. I, th I think it had like gold ends, uh. but I mean, there's cheaper. Cables with gold ends. Right. So, and even if the cable, it's like the wiring inside it is made of gold. Like, I don't, I don't think I, no. Yeah. At 25 feet, you, there's really no difference between gold and copper. Some like, there say might there be are. a measurable difference, but it uh, wouldn't be audible to us. I remember at the beginning of the studio, I, um, I didn't know that there were differences in cables. So I, 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 um, I stumbled on this article, probably in Sound on Sound, mm -hmm. um, uh, a story about um, a studio owner down in the States, big studio, like million-dollar studio, that didn't have Mogami cabling in his walls okay. and in his patch bays. Um, a Mogami salesman came in, demonstrated Mogami cabling versus his existing cabling. Right. So that the guy could compare and the studio owner ripped out all the cabling out of all his walls in the entire studio and replaced it all with Mogami cabling. But that's not a company that charges too much money for. Uh, I, 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 I don't disagree, but. Like, I'm not going to argue that their cables are great, but they charge way too much money for what they're giving you. Like I'm getting an extra, what, two or 3% out of those cables maybe. Yeah. I just don't see the, I mean, 
I don't hear enough of a difference in cabling period to, I mean, right gauge of cabling to me makes far more difference than the material of the cabling, assuming, goodness, excuse me, assuming that the cabling itself is appropriate, right? Yeah. Ends make a difference for me. Do they? Like, like gold in terms of like, if I'm going to invest the extra little bit of money yeah. on uh, one cable over the other, like your $12 cables, they have the cheap XLR ends mm. that fall apart like oh, really quickly. Those Hoso ones? Uh, yeah. 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 Like uh, I will spend the 10 extra dollars for a Neutrik and I like Studio One cables that Yorkville makes. Mm-hmm. Those are pretty good. I th- I would say like Give me the choice, Mogami or Studio Ones. I'm going to go with Studio Ones because they're a bit cheaper and they do the majority of what Mogami does. Well, that's the thing, right? Like it's, like you say, that 2 or 3% probably isn't going to make the difference. Mm -mm. No, especially when, especially when there's so many other things that you could be spending that money on that are far more important to a musician's performance. Yeah. Right. I mean, shit, the number of records that were made in the early days of digital when digital sounded like ass that we still think are amazing records because the performances were amazing. Yeah. The songwriting, the arrangement, the whatever. I've been even watching some videos on synthesizers lately and just like what people did with the old synthesizers back in like the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And like it's things that, even now, for me, it's just like, why, why would I ever think to do that? But there's people who like <laughs> linked their synthesizer to a drum machine uh, so that they were playing in time with each other. And they just jammed with themselves by the uh, just playing on their keyboard <laughs> and then having this drum beat. And if they were playing with arpeggios, they'd have it linked, like tempo linked with the drum machine. It was, Things I wouldn't think to do, but well, but they're they're forced into that because that's what they had. That's what they had. Yeah, yeah. They had to think about like, oh, how can I get what I'm looking for? I remember talking to a to an older gentleman two or three years ago now. Um, had done a whole bunch of recordings, and he'd basically set up a multi-track Roland recorder. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of it might have even been like a. 24 track recorder. Uh, but his entire studio was a MIDI studio. There wasn't anything, there wasn't anything that even had USB technology in it. It was all old synths and, and modules and whatever. And he had, had them all, all mapped properly and, and routed through amazing sounding things. Probably would have been an, an amazing studio to visit. Um, and his recordings sound good because I mean, they were all these, these modules, but, um, it would have been cool to see how that works, see how that works, see his workflow. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be interesting. And, and there's, there's not a lot of people doing that these days. No. Although there's probably more, I mean, as we get that counter revolution to the digital thing, there's probably more and more people that are, that are seeking out the 
that kind of, those kind of. Mm -hmm. In my experience, it's more the like super nerds of the music world that are doing it. Uh, The guys who are just making music, they, they love digital as much as they claim they don't love digital and that they love analog sound as they're using their um, <laughs> digital analog tape emulator. Yeah. <laughs> um, I heard a, speaking of the analog versus digital thing, I, I think it was a, I think it was something I heard, but it might've been something I read. It was Dave Pensato talking about his love for, um, uh, for Pultec EQs. Okay. Um, and I, apparently he's got a couple. Sure. Um, which is, I mean, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? He has the money. <laughs> well, uh, or I'm sure we he assume, has the money. Yeah. Um, given his, uh, <laughs> pedigree. <laughs> All right. Um, but he was talking about how much he loves uh, all these digital emulations of the Pultec machines uh, or the Pultec EQs because, and and I mean it started it started with the um, the A Designs Pultec EQ right. and they have in the five hundred series. Um, I must have been I must have been reading this. Anyway, uh, he was talking about how in order to find the two Pultec EQs that he has. He went through 25 different units to find not only two that he liked, but two that sounded close enough to each other. Hmm. 25 different units. I, why would you want two Pultex that sound close to each other? Because they're not a stereo thing. Pultex aren't stereo, right? No, they're not. Oh, I guess, so yeah, he, if you're doing some stereo EQ, yeah. that would make sense. But I don't know. For me, Pultex is awesome, just mono. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of amazing things that it does. Yeah, but there are definitely like I love it on a on a mix bus. I've never used a I've never used a real unit, but I love I love a Pultec. I've played with the knobs of the the warm audio Pultec clones. Yeah, how uh, how do they feel? I enjoy them. I I feel like they're they're great. When you first get them, they can be a bit stiff, but uh, the one that we have. At my long McQuaid, I've played with it enough times that I've either gotten used to it or the unit itself has broken in and is... It doesn't feel stiff anymore. Doesn't feel as stiff anymore, yeah. So I've been... um, This is the uber geek in me. Um, This has nothing to do with sound, but I've been looking at large knobs to replace small knobs in the studio here <laughs> on the gear. Cause I've, I've, I've realized one of the reasons I keep going back to the LA 610 is the knobs are really big yeah, and it feels cool to turn. Well, bigger knobs is, uh, easier to do, um, small fine adjustments. adjustments. Yeah. Whereas small knobs, like that's near impossible. And so, so what I've come to is I found, I found some, um, uh, Pen, what is the company name? I can't remember the name. Um, Pen Electric or something um, online sells um, large, uh, large knobs. Okay, various various different sizes, but they're you know, um, and and they're relatively cheap. 
So I'm looking at I'm looking at the gear that I have in the racks, and I'm thinking, what knobs could I get away with replacing <laughs> with a bigger knob, and still have all the. U- so I'm looking at the warm audio, right? The Tone Beast. That already has like decent sized knobs on it. They're okay, but I think I could make them bigger. You probably could. Not much bigger, I don't think, because you'd run out of space. But I'm definitely thinking of the uh, the VP26s, right? Those API clones mm-hmm. on the top of that rack. And that really might be all that I can get away with. Because <laughs> <laughs> everything else is is packed small enough that you probably yeah. can't. But yeah. That's fair. Yeah. But, um, yeah. That's as far as I can take that line of thought. <laughs> <laughs> um. But Pensado is definitely one of those guys who's just like, if I can do it in digital and it sounds as good as the analog counterpart or mm-hmm. even like 80% of the analog counterpart, I'm going to do it that way because it's easier. Well, and, and, and he's, not, he's not one of those guys that gets hung up on doing something for a particular sound. No. Right? He's doing it for the job, not the sound. That's right. And, and I mean, he'll... He's not going to use he's not going to use a an optical compressor for a particular sound. He's going to use an optical per compressor because it does the job that he needs. Mm-hmm. And analog or digital doesn't really matter yeah. if it's doing the function that he needs. It just makes sense to do it digitally. Yeah. Well, uh, Although I was I watched a um, a Ryan Hewitt interview yesterday. Yeah. Um, and he was, he kind of, he kind of did a, did a, a not a quick, but he kind of did a, a casual run through of, of his studio and, and some of the cool gear that he's got. Right. Um, and he does, he does a pretty intense hybrid setup. Hmm. Um, and so he, he runs probably half, half the tracks or half of the main tracks through analog EQs, compressors, effects, whatever. Including one that I'm really excited about trying out. He's got a pedal board tucked away um, under his desk that on a moment's notice, if he feels like something, if he feels like he can get away with it um, or something needs something, yeah. he'll, he'll just run whatever through that pedal board and back in um, and just sit there and mess with it. Cool. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, because I don't, <clears throat> I have all these cool pedals kicking around and I don't use a ton of them. I'm thinking I'm going to, I'm going to put something together like that. That is an interesting little effect chain yeah. or even two different, two different chains. Cause I have, I have lots of stuff so that I can just pull it out, play with it while I'm doing a, doing a mix and see what cool, interesting things I can come up with. That's fair. I almost bought a big muff yesterday. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nice. 60 bucks. <laughs> that's pretty good yeah like a, like an original or uh, or a modern one uh, rounded edges or square and silver I think it was like I think it was square and silver mm. so maybe one of the older ones that's cool still had like the green on the top but with, oh it's got the it's green like that means it's muff. one of the Russian ones like the green paint yeah. Uh, on the the face of it, I think that's a that's one of the Russian ones. It, uh, was it actually an uh, like an 
like an electroharmonics yeah. one. All right. Yeah. Huh. So they they have they have a ton of different big muffs, but okay. Like I I have the germanium big muff. I just know I love the sound of that pedal mm-hmm. on a bass guitar because it makes a bass guitar just have that <laughs> grit to it. Yeah. Which is just fantastic. Nice. And I know there are like many different ones. I've I've played with a couple big muffs and the original or like the <coughs> the base model seems to be the one I, I like the most. Sweet. Nice. It's got that. Yeah. So I almost bought it. I'm gonna wait <laughs> see if it's still in the store. Uh, after a month, okay. Because if it is, I could probably get it for less than sixty bucks. Nice. I could probably get it for like maybe forty. I think. That's all good. If I could get it for that, then I'm laughing. So <laughs> yeah, I love stumbling on. I don't look at guitar pedals a lot anymore, but I love stumbling on those ridiculously good deals. Um, well, that's basically how I accrue majority of my gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're asking what for that? No, that's that, you know, you should give it just $5 less and I'll buy it. <laughs> Wait, no, no, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> not usually how it works for me. It's just like, oh, that's how much you're selling it for? Brand new. They're like twice that. <laughs> I'll buy it for that price because <laughs> why not? Yeah. I don't care if somebody else used it. I'm not one of those. I mean, I love those people because they help my numbers at work, but I am one of the people who's just like, mm, two grand for a keyboard. I know it's worth that, but if I could get it for a grand, <laughs> I'll do that. Like my yeah. my SV1, which I no longer have, 850 bucks. Those things sell for two grand, brand new. Like that's pretty much how I buy my gear. <laughs> well, and, and, and it just makes sense, right? You know, like I, I had I had a kid in here that wanted to be an intern um, last week, I think, and oh, yeah. we, we talked for a couple hours. Yeah. Good kid, but didn't know enough. Like, just didn't know enough to be an intern. Didn't know enough to be an intern. I would have to I would have to teach him a ton for him to be any sort of useful. Okay. Did he um, go to school at all? No, all self-taught. Okay. Um, anyway, he one of his one of his more excited questions was, "How much stuff do you own?" and and then he followed that up by by how much does it all cost? And it it it, it made made my brain go through that process of. Like, what did I actually buy new? Because so much of this stuff I got used, and it's great, mm-hmm. you know. And well, it, I, it, I think that's the difference between a, a, a working music professional, professional yeah. versus the hobbyist. The hobbyists tend to buy things brand new, and they pay that big price tag that yeah. stores sell items for. Whereas working professionals will always be like. like how can it? What, what can I get that's that's good value? Yeah, yeah. Or or where? How can I get this at a better value? Yeah, like yeah. you talk to anyone who works at a Long McQuaid. I don't think very many of them would be would say like that five thousand dollar guitar. Oh, it's totally worth it. No, most of them would be like, that's a great playing guitar, but I would never pay that much for 
that because all I'm getting is an extra 2% for three more grand than. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And, and oftentimes I find with guitars that their first year out of the store, they go through, they go through this kind of like breaking in the wood, unless it's been in the store forever. They go through this kind of breaking in the wood where the wood settles into whatever it's warped shape is going to be, you know? And, and so you're, if you can, if you can not, if you not have to go through that. I've, yeah, I've noticed that with new guitars. So they're, they're, they were built in California or something like that. And then they come here where it's like uber dry. The wood's going to change shape and you have to let it change shape for however long that it's going to be doing it. Right. Sometimes they, like in the case of the first PRS that I bought, within uh, the first week I had it, uh, it got destroyed. I, I got, I, I went, I brought it into Long McQuaid to get a, uh, my free setup that you get when you buy a guitar, just to get it all set up for the tuning I wanted it and everything like that. And then the tech was like, yeah, the, the neck is twisted uh, to the point where it's not a useful guitar. And really? because it was a set neck, it's just, there's nothing he could do. So he had to chop off the headstock and I had to get another PRS. Why do you have to chop off the headstock? Because that's what PRS wants with the, their defective um, guitars. Really? They chop off the headstock so that people, like, and then you, they, uh, don't remember if it is the that you send them the headstock or what it is, but I know like a big chunk of the guitar it just gets dumped, like the body of the guitar just gets dumped. And uh, it's I think it's weird. to make the guitar useless yeah. so that people can't go dumpster diving and get like a two thousand dollar guitar. I suppose, but a piece of wood is a piece of wood. Yeah. Huh. And I mean, the wood that's in those guitars is pretty expensive. Because I, I think I have, what is it? The one I currently have is quilted maple top, mahogany body, and I think ebony fretboard. Hmm. Like that's, that's got some price tags on it. Mahogany is probably the, the cheap wood, but ebony uh, and maple, those have some yeah price tags on them. Although um, the amount. My PRS copy is a solid mahogany body. Yeah. Wonderful warm. Light. Mahogany is awesome wood. I love yeah. it. You just use that for the body and then have whatever on top for the appearance. Yeah. Although I love the appearance of that thing. Although that's like rosewood fretboard, isn't it? Uh, I think it's Brazilian rosewood, yeah. Yeah. And then different rosewood on the headstock. Okay. Yeah, he used um, one of the. So he used. To, yeah, he used uh, Brazilian rosewood, and I don't know if it was like uh, like an Indian rosewood or, or what the other one was. Mm-hmm. But one of the two of them was illegal to have, illegal to import. Um, but he had a little bit. But he had some. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's a nice guitar. It is. It plays nice. Doesn't sound like a PRS, though. No. <laughs> well, it um, doesn't have a floating bridge. You need a floating bridge, man. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> They're a pain in the ass. Yeah. 
But I mean, once you have them set up and as long as you don't fucking do a stupid thing and take off all the strings like some people do. (laughs) Okay. So interesting story about, about this. And in hindsight, I can totally see I was completely in the wrong. So you're going to enjoy this. Okay. So I went through this phase where I was working on the South side at a, at a country bar doing sound. And, um, right beside the bar was a pawn shop that had a lot of guitars and they were selling them, always selling them for really, really cheap. So I would go in there all the time waiting for, you know, after sound check, waiting for the show to start. And I'd take a look at, I'd take a look at guitars and I ended up buying maybe three guitars from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in my Les Paul phase, um, I just wanted Les Paul shaped guitars and I have not left that phase. I love Les Pauls. That's that's yeah. my guitar. I do miss I do miss the Les Paul body. I used to have like five Les Pauls. I only have two right now. <laughs> I think. No wait, no, I have three Les Paul bodies. Because I have a, a LTD Eclipse, mm. which is a Les Paul body. So my buddy uh, a buddy of mine that uh, was largely a bass player in high school um, was expanding his fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he'd gotten an old guitar from a friend of his dad's and heard that I was buying these guitars from this pawn shop. And, and he made a trip in. And I met him out there um, late in the evening. And he found this... Gretsch style, um, hollow body that, uh, that had, um, a, one of the bridges, one of those bridges that wasn't actually permanently attached. It was just, it was just floating on the body held down by the strings. So you, if, if you wanted, you could really like push it out of place. Right. Right. Now, uh, was that a Bigsby? Bridge it or? wasn't a no, no it was it was uh i don't know almost like a floyd rose but not really it was gotta be honest that was like 18 years ago okay yeah so so we're going back hard to remember yeah um anyway so the, the strings on it were were toast they were old and i think one of them was rusty okay um and the guitar wasn't in amazing shape but it was in playable shape right and so you know he was excited about it takes all the strings off oh <laughs> Exactly. And neither of us knew, right? Like we'd never even seen a guitar like this. I think that's what everybody does with their first Floyd Rose is take off all the strings to replace them because they're used to like through body. It wasn't a Floyd Rose. It was, it it wasn't, it wasn't a floating bridge, but it was a, it was a, it was an, the, the nut or the, like whatever the guitar, whatever the strings went over, Mm -hmm. it had, it had another, like another four inches of string behind it to where it was actually anchored. Okay. Right. But that, but that bridge, um, sat solidly on the wood. And so right. it wasn't, it wasn't like a flowed rose where it would, where you could, you could bend it and bend the string or, you know, bend the notes or whatever, yeah. but it, it just wasn't glued to the guitar. Okay. Yeah. Now I get it. Right. It's one of those weirdo things. And so he, he, t- he took all the strings off and this thing literally fell off the guitar. Yeah. 
and we tried don't ever glue them down right we tried putting it back and we didn't know exactly where and so the intonation was shit it was just all over the place and and those are horrible bridges follow our hosts on twitter at two bodies of water got that mic in a comfortable spot yet i'm still working on it at joey r engineer i can't even talk i don't remember what my point was this is a boring podcast um i realize at the end of this we didn't introduce ourselves on to the internet you go Switch off.